Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the uh, pop culture podcast that connects academic ideas to popular media, assigns you homework, and makes it fun again. I am one of your lovely co-hosts, uh, aspiring pirate Martha Sullivan, and I am joined today by... I am Pete Romberg, a curriculum developer and paint toucher upper in a dining room repainting. And for our for her uh, podcast debut, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, um, we are joined by special guest Marin. Hi, I'm Marin, uh, Pete's fiance and painter of room, also a special education teacher. Uh, so as we uh, told all of you lovely listeners last week, we are going to start rotating some special guest stars into our your podcast experience. And Marn has the distinguished, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for here? A distinction of being our very first guest. So thank you for joining us, Marn. Glad to be here. Uh, as you may or may not know, I'm not going to put you on blast uh, for listening to our show or not. Uh, we like to start our episodes by showing our pop culture credentials so that our listeners at home know that we know what we're talking about when we start discussing uh, pop culture and media. Uh, these are the last thing in media that we experienced, unedited for uh, shame or guilty pleasure content, uh, which means that if today was, if we were recording on Tuesday morning, I would have to admit to you all that I watched The Bachelorette. It is not Tuesday morning, so I am not admitting that. Um, but I will tell you all that the last thing that I experienced was the first episode and a half of Black Sails. Um, Black Sails is a TV show ostensibly about pirates. I will say that the first episode is um, bonkers. It has about a zillion people. There was an orgy within the first 10 minutes, and by the end of the episode, somebody had been punched in the face to death. Um, I don't know the names of any of the characters. I don't really know what's going on, but I'm willing to give it mm, three or four episodes to uh, start to make coherent sense to me. Well, I think Black Sails, you said you were watching it on Hulu before we started recording. I think it's originally a Stars production, which also famously did Spartacus, Blood and Sand. So the fact that somebody got punched in the face to death and also there was an orgy seems very much par for the Stars course. Yeah, probably. Uh, mostly I'm just going to need to, at some point, get to a, a place where I can name the characters. Uh, because right now they are mostly white men in uh, varying degrees of dirty. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they are fairly difficult to uh, to tell apart. Well, one thing I did hear about the show as it went on is that it did really center its female characters. So that will hopefully not be a problem for too much longer. <laughs> There are some pretty rockin' women in the first episode. So, you know, if that continues to be true, then I'm all in. Cool. Well, uh, my pop culture credential was uh, an album that I've listened to many times in the past, as I quickly look up how many times. Uh, An album I've apparently only listened to approximately 25 to 30 times since it came out, um, Beyonce's Lemonade. Um... I was listening to it because I was trying to think of a homework assignment for our next episode, 
And Marin suggested lemonade because she had never heard it all the way through. Um, I ended up not doing that. That was my reaction. I ended up not choosing <laughs> lemonade, but instead I was just listening to it. So, um, yeah. Lemonade. Um, I, I buy music maybe once every eight years. Uh, I bought lemonade. <laughs> that is how... That is how strongly I feel about that album slash visual experience. It is a phenomenal album. And a phenomenal album, not just for the individual songs, but for the entire through line. Well, and I've certainly enjoyed the songs I've listened to. I just have not taken the time to sit down and listen to it all, which admittedly is quite silly. I highly recommend, if you can, watching the visual album, um, because it's a really pretty uh, unique viewing experience in, like, the best way. (laughs) Right. All right, well, Marin, what was your... um, So my pop pop cultural credential is actually, as I have been painting, I have been listening to numerous Ezra Klein episodes... Uh, the Ezra Klein Show, which is a podcast through Vox Media. Uh, and the one I was listening to just before we have started recording, as I've been cleaning the last of the paint job, was a guest. Uh, he Every week he hosts a different guest. And this week it was Julia Gav, who is a researcher in psychology and she specifically focuses on how we argue and how to change people's minds and she has been applying that to politics recently for very good reasons so it, it's made for very interesting listening you know it's helpful to like get myself into a quiet rage state as I am like stripping painter's tape off our walls very helpful quiet rage state (laughs) this one was actually like less angry than some of the other ones i've been listening to um because it was not specifically and explicitly about trump the one i listened to before that was so our walls got attacked pretty thoroughly Um, I, I love the Ezra Klein show podcast as well. Often conversations are like this. Oh, did you like, you should listen to the most recent episode cause it's real good. And then like three weeks later she will and they'll be like, oh yeah, that was really good. Yeah. <laughs> Agreement. This is like, I only, I don't know, peak. I don't know. It's not hipster. It's like political technocratic yuppie or something. That was so many words. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I only listen to like gentle humor and faux uh, mockumentary stuff. Yeah, like supernatural slice of life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he does have a a really wide range of guests. Um, And so one of the more recent ones that I was listening to while painting yesterday was Eddie Izzard. And that was a lot of fun. Um, he's also had Al Franken, who, as a Minnesotan, I love dearly as a politician, but also remember him as a comedian. It's, yeah, it's an impressive array. 
the Eddie Izzard Car. episode was phenomenal because apparently Eddie Izzard is running as an MP for Parliament in the UK, which is not a thing I knew. Um, but he's delightful to listen to when he's talking comedy and also delightful when he's talking politics and history and any word that comes out of his mouth if he wants to narrate audiobooks or come on as a guest on our show. Uh, <laughs> you know, that'd be great. Okay, well, thank you both for sharing. Um, as we transition into our new format, we decided to... Uh, take a bit of a summer break. Um, you know, traditionally the summer is the time, uh, is, is the break time for homework. So we decided to, uh, I guess, keep to our theme, um, give you all a couple weeks off from homework and talk about some of the media we've been enjoying or not this summer experiencing. Let's go with experiencing. Uh, so we have picked out some things for you guys, uh, both recommendations and things that we maybe were excited about, but kind of fell flat for us. Um, Pete, do you want to lead us off with one of your, tell us something that you, uh, ex tell us, tell us about a media that you experienced this summer that you were excited about, sure. are excited about. Sure. Um, so I'm going to lead off my list with. I think this is the film I've seen most recently in theaters, which is uh, Chris Nolan's Dunkirk. Um, I've been excited for this since it was first announced that Chris Nolan was doing a movie about the Dunkirk evacuation. Um, for those who don't know, Dunkirk is about the Dunkirk evacuation. Uh, the British Army, World War II, surrounded uh, in France, has to get back to England. And can it? Who knows? Uh, the answer is yes. Um... The film is phenomenal. It is barely two hours. It is two hours of climax. It is, it begins dialed up to 11 and it never dials back down below 11. Um, it's structured, it's structured totally uniquely. Um, three different parts. One is sort of the beach and that takes place over a week. One is, uh, one of the little ships, um, which were the civilian vessels that were part of the evacuation of Dunkirk and are certainly part of the mythos around the evacuation of Dunkirk. And that takes place over a day. And then there is uh, beautiful Tom Hardy behind an RAF air uh, breathing mask, so you can't see his face, uh, as, a, as a pilot in the air. And that takes place over an hour. Uh, and over the course of the film, these three stories their, their climaxes come together so that the climax of the film is also sort of the climax of each of these stories where the narrative is being interwoven chronologically. Um, it's a very Chris Nolan movie, and it solves a lot of the problems that Chris Nolan movies have simply by being what it is. Um, Chris Nolan movies... I was going to say... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say... I was just going <laughs> to... Go. No, you go. No, I you go. I was going to say... <laughs> well, I was going to say... I was going to say... Right, I well, want to commend that it doesn't have to deal with women, because, <laughs> which Chris Nolan is terrible at, uh, because it's about a war and it involved a lot of dudes. Well, and I want to commend Nolan for apparently making a movie that isn't eight thousand years long. Yeah, instead of being eight thousand years yeah. long, it's barely two hours. Um, there's maybe five women in it, and they're all nurses. But also, it's a war movie about a, the evacuation of Dunkirk those would be the only women in it. So we solve the issue that Nolan doesn't know how to write women. Um, 
it's a cold and removed and clockwork film, but it's also intentionally supposed to be. So it's like all the critiques of Nolan flicks sort of get solved just by being what it is. Um, it's also really intense and really tense. And if you ever had any fears of drowning, um, trigger warning, drowning for that movie. Uh, yeah, I think we all breathed an audible sigh of relief when it ended. Not because none of us enjoyed it, but just because we were so tense throughout the movie experience. <laughs> yeah, so that's my first pick for the summer, Dunkirk. Okay. Uh, Martin, do you want to share something? Sure. Um, so I will start with the TV show Outlander. Uh, I have a good friend who's been reading the books and another friend who is a fellow teacher on summer break with me. And so we decided what we wanted to do with our newfound free time was to watch the TV show Outlander. So I had seen the, the show before uh, as it aired. So kind of in, you know, one week, one episode a week bursts. Um, so it was a really different viewing experience to sit down and watch it um, in much larger doses. And so we've gotten through, I think we're a little over halfway through the second season. The context is there are two seasons out of Outlander so far. Uh, the, the first one, I believe, has 16 episodes. The second one has 10. Um, and the show, in many ways, well, like the book, doesn't belong to a genre. It's about a nurse who having a second honeymoon with her husband after World War II, finds herself in a circle of magical stones and is transported back to 1743. And so she has to figure out how to survive in the wily politics of pre-Jacobite rebellion Scotland. Uh, She also finds a new love there. And so then she's torn between whether or not she goes back to the 20th century or if she stays in the 19th and the show kind of weaves and winds its way through her adventures confronting politics battle uh, sexual violence in many ways it's just as brutal as game of thrones um if only because the violence that does happen is so traumatic and so focused on characters you're invested in um, but yeah, so we, so getting to rewatch it all in much longer bursts has been an absolute pleasure. You get to see, I, I had a lot of trouble with the second season and that could also be because it's my favorite of the Outlander books. So I was very protective of the storyline. Um, so it's been really rewarding to rewatch it and get a better sense of how the episodes flow together, how well the storyline has been executed, how how good the acting and the production are. Um, so I've been really enjoying rewatching it this summer. So real fast, um, I'm interested when you say that they, um, you made a comment that they are not like easily categorized. Yes. Are, are they not romance novels? So, fun fact, Diana Galabon, who wrote the original Outlander, or wrote the Outlander books, when she first tried to sold it, tried to sell the book, 
She sold it as a literary work of fiction, but then was told by her agent that if she marketed it as a romance novel, it would sell much better. But the book itself, while there is a strong element of romance in it, and there is a through line of a romantic plotline, it's not necessarily the main story at all. Um, and so I think it gets pigeonholed as a romance novel, when in reality, it's much more complex. The episodes that I've seen, because I've, I've been, you know, ducking in and out of watching various episodes, I should also sit down and watch them all the way through. It It's certainly a combo of romance and historical fiction and just straight up fiction and it feels in way in for the show at least in some ways very game of thronesy um uh ronald d moore is the executive producer he did Battlestar, and he did a bunch of episodes of some various star treks well and ronald d moore was actually persuaded to do the to to do the book into a show by his wife who handed him the book and said hey this is a good book you should try this you should read this, and he had no idea it was categorized as a romance novel until later. As somebody that has no experience either reading or watching it, um, it's interesting to hear you guys talk about it like this because I think that the marketing for this property is still very much as a romance novel, as a romance story. And I think that's because they have legions of adoring fans, <laughs> and that's well, and what I, they want to see. I, I also want to be a little careful just because I, I work in YA, which I think, like romance, tends to be a bit of a maligned genre. And I, I don't want to give the impression that we are talking as though it would be bad for these books to be well, romance. No, and in fact, one of my later picks is a straight-up romance novel. Um, <laughs> I, I think... It just with for me, Outlander, as someone who does read a lot of romance novels, it doesn't feel like one. So okay. it's not that no. I would think it would do it would be bad to characterize it as a romance novel. I just don't think it's accurate. <laughs> Martin, okay. and I, Martin and I's non-romance noveling of it are coming from the total opposite directions, <laughs> wherein I read none and she reads all. So it we're <laughs> we're coming at it from those sides. Yeah, because I do, I do, um, my social media is filled with many authors, so I did see a little bit of the, um, of when people were getting mad at Diana Gabaldon for, like, I guess they saw it as her trying to, um, distance herself from the romance fans that they saw as kind of having built her, uh, like, built her property, um, because recently, I think I don't think the, I think the, I don't know. There was like a whole thing on literary Twitter where people were like, she's pissing on romance fans, and we're the ones that made her all of her money. And I don't know. It was like a whole big thing. Oh, wow, I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just like I said, as somebody that has no um, experience with the property, um, I, all I know about it is how it is like how the show is marketed and how the, the books are, are marketed. It's, it's interesting to hear that um, the way they're being sold isn't totally accurate to what they are. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. That makes absolute sense. Well, Martha, uh, what was your, uh, let's swing over to your first pick for the summer. Okay. 
What do I want to start with? I think that I want to start with, I'm going to go out of order on my notes in the show document because uh, earlier today I finished up the first season of Winona Earp, or sorry, Winona Earp on uh, Netflix. Yeah, I'm really Winona curious Earp. to hear you talk about this one. It is a sci-fi channel show that is based off of an IDW comic of the same name. Uh, and the premise is uh, Winona Earp is the great-great-granddaughter of Wyatt Earp, um, of who we all know and love of Western fame. Um, and the, the idea of the show is that all of the criminals and outlaws that Wyatt Earp killed in his lifetime, um, somebody cursed the Earp line. So now when Wyatt died... All of the outlaws that he killed came back as the show calls them revenants. They're basically demons. Ooh, but I love um, the term revenant. So <laughs> on board with that. And so uh, his heir, like the heir to the Earp line, is the only one that can kill them using his gun. Um, but if they don't, if they die before all of the revenants are killed, then all the revenants come back to life, and the next year has to start over from square one. This uh, sounds amazing. Why have I not heard it of this is, before? <laughs> um, I heard of it, actually, uh, because Gail Simone on Twitter started watching it and was raving about it and was basically like, if IDW wants me to come write this comic, I would love to do that. I would love to. And then she and the showrunners started talking. She and the showrunner started talking about her potentially writing an episode, and then Lexi Alexander got into it, and I was like, if this actually happens, this would be amazing. I gotta watch this show that all of these amazing creative women that I love are raving about. Um, it has filled the supernatural hole in my heart. I was just <laughs> gonna is... ask if this is like a more lady-centric supernatural. It is. The biggest difference yes. is that the biggest difference, at least in the first season, I'm not sure if this is going to change in season two, um, is that the revenants are confined to a specific geographic location. Hmm. So there's no trap. Um, it all takes place in basically the same town. I think probably because sci-fi had less money to make it than the CW did. <laughs> sure. Um, Makes sense. But it does mean that you get to know, like there are fewer characters and fewer character deaths that happen because you have a smaller cast. Um, the main characters are Winona and her little sister Waverly, who's basically her Bobby character, who does all of her research and like knows all this stuff. And she also has a guy who's kind of a federal agent, but more of like an X-Files division type who comes in to help her. Um, but Winona is like, she's probably an alcoholic she's super rude nobody likes her and she kicks like crazy amounts of ass it is super fun a plus do recommend is it western aesthetics or is it sort of like modern i mean is it like modern well, it takes, but we're all it running takes around place, in dusters or what no i mean it takes place in modern times but it definitely utilizes western sensibilities mm. so um like quick draw gunfights are a big part of it. And I don't know, it, it borrows a lot from Westerns because it's trading on the ERP name. So even though like 
they use computers and everyone has cell phones because it's taking place today. There's also like a lot of um, like the feel that you would expect to get in a Western. Mm-hmm. Like high, high noon situations. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Although also spooky because they're demons. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Uh, Pete, your turn again. All right. Um, for my second one, I'm going to go with a podcast which I recently was introduced to and got into. Um, at first, I was hesitant about choosing this because the podcast basically ended um, back in 2015, but a new episode was released this summer, and also I just started getting into it this summer, so I'm doubly down for for making this my second choice. And it is the Adam Scott, Scott Ackerman, a.k.a. Adam Scott Ackerman podcast, You Talking You Too to Me. Um, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's Adam Scott and Scott Ackerman talking about the band U2. You might have heard of them. They're a, a band. Um, I but... love two-thirds of the words that you just said. <laughs> so, I, or... <laughs> yeah, you love Adam Scott and Scott Ackerman. Correct. Or maybe you love Adam Scott and you too. I unabashedly love the 80s and early 90s U2, and then I'm pretty down with all that you can't leave behind, but how to dismantle an atomic bomb is pretty good, but after that it all goes downhill for me. Um, When I said that these guys are talking about U2, uh, what I really mean is that there's an hour and a half long episode on the album The Unforgettable Fire, where they talk about the album The Unforgettable Fire for maybe 20 minutes of that hour and a half, and the rest is um, (laughs) comedy and jokes and going far off the reservation. They have a podcast within their podcast about movies uh, called, I I think it's called something like We Like Movies or something, um, where they just talk about movies inside their YouTube podcast. Um, it's, It's very funny. I picked it especially for the summer because it le- led to a dramatic increase in me listening to U2 uh, when I was working. Because I'm like, oh, I do love The Unforgettable Fire. Let me listen to that album three times. Well, and I will attest that there has just been a much higher level of U2 in general in our household. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which all... I, I am not angry about. <laughs> yeah, er- early U2, 80s, early 90s U2 is great. Um, the podcast is hilarious, although it's, you know, if you like Adam Scott, if you like Scott Ackerman, if you like what Comedy Bang Bang does, and you want to listen to some, some guys talking about a band, um, it's great. Uh, if you're there because you want some deep, deep, deep U2 knowledge, it's probably not the best because they don't, they, they introduce a lot of deep U2 knowledge, but not that much, uh, because they're mostly making jokes. Adam Scott is my favorite How Did This Get Made repeat guest star. Mm-hmm. He comes on every time they talk about a Fast and the Furious movie. I don't think I've heard any of the, the How Did This Get Made's Fast and Furious episodes. Oh my god, they've done five through eight. Ooh. <laughs> you need to listen to them all. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, the, the A great joke and a joke that they continually make is that Adam Scott and Scott Ackerman basically sound the same. Um, and they keep referring to each other as just Scott. Um, oh, so no. Similar to that episode of This American Life, where Ira Glass and Fred Armistead co-host 
And most of the time you can tell the difference between them, but every once in a while you're tricked. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, Marin, what is your next pick? Um, so my next pick is the movie The Big Sick. So The Big Sick draws from the real life story of how comedian Camille Nanjiani met and fell in love with his wife. Uh, the, well, we, I don't know if we really want to call this a story because this actually happened. Um, he was dating this woman and she got very sick. And, as, and his, wife, just, his wife is famous podcaster Emily V. Gordon. Like, not, not to... No, 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 that's a very helpful impression. I just didn't know that. Um, but so Emily, and I believe in the name they changed her movie, uh, but Emily got very sick and in a coma after they had recently broken up and he came to the hospital to help manage her affairs. He actually had to sign the waiver um, allowing the doctors to put her into a medical coma. And as a result of him being around the hospital, he ended up meeting her parents and ended up questioning some of his life decisions about falling in line with his parents' desire for him to marry a Pakistani woman and realizing that he loved Emily enough to take that risk. Um, it's, a, it's a lovely romantic comedy, uh, and I feel like Hollywood has not made one of those for a very long time. Um, so it was just a really fun, funny, um, delightful movie about two people falling in love despite some cultural barriers and, you know, a coma. Uh, the Big Sick is another movie that I have not yet seen this summer that I desperately, desperately want to. Um, my mom went to see it and she said that she, so both my mom and my sister went to see it separately. And uh, my sister, Lizzie, said that it was really funny, but she cried a lot. And my mom was like, yeah, I went in with my tissues, like totally ready for like a complete sob fest. But mostly I just thought it was like hysterically funny. Um, by I, I mean my mother. Um, so I think it's interesting that it seems to have struck like the perfect balance between being like, obviously a really emotional, uh, really true, um, heartfelt story, but also being clearly very, very funny. Yeah, it's it's really delightful in the sense that it's a friggin' friggin' funny movie. There's a joke in it that uh, I won't ruin or repeat here that I'm still laughing about, like three or four weeks later. Um, but it it's an adult movie in the sense that it's tackling really difficult ideas and really difficult things. Um, I can to totally see non-robot people sobbing at it. Uh, and also laughing at it. So, did you say non-robot people? Yeah, you know, like me. You know, emotionless <laughs> are, are robot you people. Give them the boy comp test. Is that how we're gonna figure this one out? Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think obviously that's its greatest strength is it's not afraid to lean in hard to the decisions that the characters make that are hard. Um, and I think that's really what has made it resonate with a lot of people. Great. Uh, well, Martha, what is your next summer? Okay. Uh, the next thing. thing that I want, yeah, the next thing I want to tell you all about is a comic 
that I have been enjoying. The first trade paperback came out um, uh, earlier this summer. I don't. I think June was the uh, first volume. It's called Motor Crush by Brendan Fletcher, Babs Tarr, and Cameron Stewart. Uh, this is the creative team behind the uh, revamp of Batgirl. So Ooh. they were responsible for the Batgirl of Burnside's redux, however you want to call it. Um, they are a fabulous team. They also did Gotham Academy for a while, um, which is a really great YA comic that DC uh, is still... Uh, making, I actually, I didn't think it would survive the jump from uh, New 52 to Rebirth, but it has, which is really exciting for me. Is, uh, but Motor Crush... Is Gotham Academy oh, about the, um, uh, like, all-girls school something-something solving crime? It's not an all-girls school. It's okay. a private boarding school there in Gotham City. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, it's sort of a supernatural Nancy Drew type deal, because you've got... Only it's in Gotham, so it's a little darker. Uh, but that's not what I want to talk to you about today. Um, <laughs> we can certainly you. talk about that later, uh, because I love it dearly. But right now I want to talk to you about Motor Crush, which is a futuristic sci-fi sto- book about motorcycle racing. Uh, the main character is an awesome, awesome lady named Domino, who is part of both the professional motorcycle racing circuit and also the underground racing circuit. So you get like two, you get the, the high polish speed racer type professional stuff. And then also the like Tokyo drift style, Mad Max, uh, uh, underground racing, which she does, uh, just to give you a taste of the differences there. When she races underground, she carries a baseball bat full of nails (laughs) to, uh, (laughs) derail her opponents um but it's about her uh you know gearing up for a really big race that's you know she's kind of up and coming uh she is also uh you find out is adopted so her past and where she comes from starts to play a really big role in the story and also um as she as the the story goes on she finds herself kind of getting more and more involved in like uh, the powers that are sort of running the show behind the race. It's actually, if you guys have seen the uh, Wachowski siblings version of Speed Racer, it's very similar to that in that, uh, you know, she discovers that, you know, the races aren't exactly like straight. Um, and there's also a whole subplot going on where she's racing for a fuel additive called Crush, which uh, is illegal to use on the circuit because it makes your engine go faster. But that just means that everybody's using it. So you you have to compete for it to be competitive. Um, it's very 80s feeling just in like the color and the style, but in like a gem in the hologram sort of way. So it's like bright and exciting. Um and is full of uh, queer people and people of color. And it's just really exciting. And I am in love with it and can't wait for the second volume. Yeah, the AV Club, the AV Club review of the first issue, the headline is Motor Crush will sear your retinas and have fun doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like the last... You're, you're probably going to have a better read on this than I will. But I feel like the last maybe three to five years has been a a delightful explosion in comics like this, like starring queer people and people of color and especially women um, and being visually 
daring and exciting and and just like comics have gotten a lot more interesting and a lot more um oh what's the word i'm looking for uh representative um and yeah i think that is i think that is certainly true when you're talking about other publishers i think the big (laughs) two are still struggling to catch up well i mean i think there's something in the fact that it is now easier than ever to get a comic published like mm-hmm. um with kickstarter and uh crowdfunding and web comics i mean babs tar the artist on this book uh got to be the artist on batgirl because cameron fletcher found her or cameron stewart sorry uh saw her art on tumblr and was like have you ever drawn a comic before i would love to have you come in and be on my batgirl creative team <laughs> also so, your name is babs so like you know, oh my we God. need to make she's, this happen. <laughs> she's so great. Um, but no, I think you're right. I think that this is a, I believe it's a, an image book. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just verify that before. Before the internet yells uh, at us. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting uh, also that you mentioned uh, Speed Racer. I have dug in my heels about not watching that movie for basically <gasps> since it came out. Um, oh, but it's so fun. Yeah, it looks too much for me. And, and I like the Wachowskis. I like... Um... The Matrix? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, <mean, laughs> I like the Matrix. I, I like Cloud Atlas. Um, I think Sense8 is a... I'm sad that it got canceled, but I also didn't watch any of the second season. Um, but it's a well, that's bold... That's I made you watch the first episode without any context no, 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 I, whatsoever. I'd seen the first half of season one before you assigned okay. uh, that Christmas episode. And, like, the Christmas episode got me back interested in it, and then I didn't do anything with that interest. Um, but, like, it was a bold experiment. They they fail big even when they fail, and oftentimes they don't fail. Yeah, bold is definitely the right word for them. Well, and Speed Racer is actually, again, this isn't really what I want to talk about, but Speed Racer is um, simpler than a lot of their projects. Like, it's it's not too far off of the of what you are familiar with when you hear the phrase Speed Racer. Vroom, vroom, um, cargo fast. I race with anime mouth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Motor Crush is like Speed Racer, only darker, starring an awesome uh, woman of color. Um, yeah, it's like Speed Racer with Edge. Mm-hmm. How many issues, or um, trade paperbacks is it at this point? Uh, one. The first one just came out at the end of June. Oh, fantastic. That means I can easily get into it. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Pete, what is your, what is your third, your third and final recommendation for us? Yeah, my third pick is a book. Um, it's called The Rise and Fall of Dodo, but Dodo is like D-O-D-O, it's an acronym. Um, it's by Neil Stevenson and Nicole Galland. Um, I unabashedly love Neil Stevenson and will basically read anything he writes, knowing that I don't think I've read a single book of his that has a good ending. Um, That's my biggest Neil Stevenson critique. Nicole Galland apparently can write an ending, because I was very satisfied with the ending of this book. Uh, And that's that's delightful. Um, The premise is that magic was real, 
but the invention of science and especially photography broke magic so that it no longer exists in the world. And so now in the year 2016, um, a secret black ops government group is trying to reboot magic. It's a combination, is, and, and they're going to reboot magic and do a lot of time travel with it. So it's a time travel book. It's a quantum physics book because they compare magic to, to quantum. Um, it's a, I don't know, weird fiction book. Um, it's basically like if you had a checklist of all the things that I personally was interested in, it would include Neil Stevenson, weird fiction, science fiction, quantum nonsense, historical fiction, time travel, and this book just has it all. Um, Wait, have we ever talked about Connie Willis? I don't think we have. Okay, because this sounds like startlingly similar to one of her series of books where the premise is we have discovered time travel and historians can go back in time. We have and, talked about her. Okay, we have talked. I thought we had. Well, And, and so the, the one thing that makes this very different than that is it's told via basically primary sources. So the meat of the thing is actually the journal of one of the characters in it, but you're also reading memos and emails being sent between different government officials involved in the project. You're reading um, official write-up reports and everything. So there's a lot of just, like, governmental and corporate bureaucracy speak, and it's written phenomenally. Um, some of the best characters that you hate in the book are just classic middle management red tape like we need to increase our efforts to synergize resources between primary motives to further empower our agents to you know blah 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 um and, and it's kind of delightful to read that when you're talking about magic and time travel um, yeah, I struggle with Neil Stevenson. I won't lie to you. Like Neil Stevenson, um, like all stuff, it's like eight hundred pages. So like, it's a I don't it's have a beast time of a book. for that. <laughs> I I read it on vacation. That was the only way I got through it in a reasonable uh, chunk of time. Yeah, my struggle with Neil Stevenson is that I really loved Snow Crash, and I've never been able to get into. I, I found everything else he's ever written to be pretty impenetrable. Have you read Diamond Age? No. I would try that one. It's kind of, sort of, a sequel to Snow Crash-ish. Um, it's probably the next best option for you if you like Snow Crash and you don't like the rest. Also, it's a normal book length. Well, see, that's that's a plus. <laughs> yeah, and, and it doesn't have, like, you know, a 500-page discourse on cryptography in the middle of it, so. Yeah, if I wanted page-long digressions, uh, I would read Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or Les Miserables. Hello, 100 pages about the history of the Parisian sewer system. Yeah, but I think I'd rather read about whales. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Those catacombs are so much fun. What? And I'd rather read about cryptography. So this is a win-win-win for all of us. Hooray. Except, except for you, Martha, maybe, with the whales. <laughs> That's okay. Marin, Marin, change the subject for okay, us, please. <laughs> so going back a bit in our conversation and talking about romance novels, my third pick for this summer is a straight-up romance novel. It is called An Extraordinary Union by author Alyssa Cole. This book came to my attention because it was nominated for a Rita Award, which is the romance novel industry's like quality awards. Um, 
It's about a former slave and a Pinkerton detective who are stationed in the home of a senator of the Confederacy and who are trying to spy for the Union. Um, and so it's a very well done romance that also centers the experience of slavery. Um, it, it, it is written by a woman of color um, and I think it does a really good job building an interracial relationship and the 19th century that feels real while also, you know, being spies, which is great. Cool. Yeah, I'm really excited to see where Alyssa Cole <laughs> goes next. Yeah, no, I'm I'm thrilled to hear that it's written by a, a woman of color because I have to tell you, my first thoughts when you started describing the plot were a little bit concerned about where we might be going with that narrative, but it sounds like it is treated very sensitively. Um, yes, absolutely. And the heroine is also a character who has an idiotic memory. And oh. so after she and her family escaped slavery, she was often used as a speaker and abolitionist um, circles because she could remember and recite anything, um, which is an interesting through line. But it does also mean she very vividly remembers slavery um, and I think the author handles it very sensitively um, and pretty gracefully folds it into her motivation for working as a spy for the Union. And also, in the context of the book, she, she does go back to a slave position. Um, and so you also get to see her grappling with the trauma that she and her family have had. Um, along with knowing that her ingratiating herself to the senator and his family are going to help the Union cause. Is that really how that word is pronounced? I have probably heard it said out loud a handful of times in my life, and so that's just what I assume, but I am also happy to be proven wrong. I was going to say, I think that's the first time I've ever heard anyone say that word out loud. Now I'm afraid. That's Yeah, that's one of those words that I've only ever read, and I get laughed at by my husband a lot for saying words I've only ever seen and never heard and then I pronounce them incorrectly oh, I, uh, and then he laughs at me so for the first 22 years of my life I said subsequently no is that correct is subsequently no. correct no, no. okay well, well no, now, now I, like for the first 22 years of my life I said subsequently and subsequently <laughs> I have been confused about which one is correct the answer is subsequently but Yes. yes. <laughs> Again, I can 100% be incorrect. Uh, we could also just call it photographic memory. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yay. Um, All right. Cool. For my third and we're, yeah. we're on third, me, uh, third this, and final, right? This is your last yeah. good thing. My last good thing. Ha ha. Okay. So I want to tell you guys about a video game that I have been playing called Dream Daddy. I've, I've seen a couple of tweets that, out of context, are hilarious. Uh, in context, they're pretty great, too. So this is a dating sim uh, that has come out recently. 
wherein you play a single dad who moves into a neighborhood uh, that is also full of other single dads. Uh, and you are all very attractive and all very sweet and romantic. And you get your option of dating uh, the daddy of your choice. Uh, there are six. There are six potential dads that you have the option of dating um, through uh, the device that they use for um, like messaging and learning about them is uh, called Dad Book, which is Facebook for dads. Uh, this game. This game is full of dad puns. It is full of dad jokes. Um, it is amazing. You have an 18-year-old daughter who is uh, the light of my fantasy life. She is so great. Uh, and this game is just... It's cute and sweet and romantic. And it, I've, been, I've actually... I've been reading a lot of um, discourse about the game because... There's been a lot of criticism from the gay community about how uh, your character is basically interchange. Like, if you made the main character female, it wouldn't change the story at all. And there's very little of, like, actual gay, like, the actual gay experience mm -hmm. in it. Um, all of which I read and is very interesting um, to hear. It's, I mean, that in and of itself is not something I can super comment about it. But the game itself is just so nice it's very calming it's very pretty nothing bad happens uh, this kind of reminds me of have you seen the episode of brooklyn 99 where the captain gets addicted to crazy cupcakes yes from what, from uh, what but you're also saying, sounds like it is a little it is a little bit like that although um i do think that it's really like the writing is really solid in that like each of the dads is kind of a cliche in some way like you have um athletic dad who's really into working out and you have hipster dad and you have like teacher dad um and they're all like they all very much have a, a stereotype that they're playing to but then as you go on the dates and learn about them and figure out like what because they respond uh, you have dialogue options that they respond in different ways to, um, and you get to learn about them, and they all have very, like, deep private lives, mm. and mm. there's, like, a surprising amount of legitimate emotion and feeling, uh, and then the story, like, your daughter is applying to colleges, uh, and so you're dealing with, like, her going away, and so, like, there's there's real emotional beats that is happening but also you get to go on a date to the aquarium and you end up in the penguin enclosure and you have to like prevent the penguins from running away. So there's also like silly cute <laughs> stuff happening. Is, um, is this a, um, this, this sounds so much like an American game, but simultaneously it sounds like a Japanese date game, mostly because it's a dating app. Uh, but I assume it's American, probably like small indie publisher. Yeah. Um, it is published by, also, is I'm Steam? playing on Yes. Is that her playing it? Cool. Yeah. It's $15 on Steam. It's excellent. Mm -hmm. um, it was Is there... Game Grumps, or it was developed by Game Grumps. Um, that company name doesn't mean anything to me, but it might to other people. Yeah, and it was written by words. Well, as, as you're saying, um, it's written by, I'm always here for games with dad jokes. So, like, dad oh my god, and in between. All of the loading scenes have dad advice on them. 
Like building so muscle it, more? It's just the whole the whole thing is amazing. <laughs> Does it have repressed Chris Cooper dad? <laughs> um it has it has married uh married Christian dad. Oh, interesting. Yep. Well, and apparently somebody dug into the code and found um, an alternate ending that didn't end up getting published, but still exists, like in the code of the game, where when you're pursuing a relationship with a married Christian dad, you find out that he's the leader of like some elder god cult that <laughs> feeds on that feeds on a single awesome. dad's sadness. <laughs> so, people have been. People have been digging into that, but it, it didn't make it into the, the final text of the game. But it's apparently there are like when he, I haven't played through his storyline yet, but there are apparently like weird um, things that pop up that only make sense if you know that there was a world in which this game existed as a secret horror cult game. <laughs> oh, that's great. So now that we've talked about the good... Let's real fast. We're not going to spend nearly as much time on this because it's a bummer. Uh, but let's talk about the bad a little bit. Um, I know that as much as we might want, not everything that re- we read, watch, or play is going to live up to our expectations or be good or enjoyable. So what are some things that have been disappointments to you guys this summer? So <clears throat> for me, the biggest disappointment of the summer is Arcade Fire's new album, Everything Now. Um, this is actually a pretty divisive album. Um, some people I've talked to actively straight up just love it. Uh, some people think that it has good parts and bad parts. I think that the bad outweighs the good. Their initial single um, in Everything Now is a great song. Great, super catchy, super fun. I'm going to be playing that for 20 years. The rest of the album is just not amazing and it's entirely because of Wynn Butler the lead singer of Arcade Fire and his terrible lyrics and his terrible delivery um the music is fine like whatever it's fun whatever but like my god he's rapping the days of the week in a shout singing voice and it's I'm not there for that um second half of the album is better but by that point I was just done so was expecting something more and did not get it. The only Arcade Fire song I've ever listened to is the song that they did for the Where the Wild Things soundtrack, and that was awesome. That can't possibly be true. You survived through the pop culture world for 15 years. You must have heard more than just that one song. That is the only song of theirs that I could tell you. Got it. I have heard. <laughs> um, and so that... it is possible that it is possible that you could play me an Arcade Fire song, and I would go, "Oh yeah, I've totally heard that," but I could not tell. I could not name it for you. Sure, that song, <laughs> the uh, the Wild Things one, is phenomenal. So good, one of their best. But yeah, new album, uh, just not doing it for me. So, womp womp. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, Marn, I'm going to have you go next because yours is a particular bummer to me um, to know. Um, Well, my disappointment for this summer has been the third season of The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Um, My friends and I have paired it with Outlander as a kind of detox. Uh, (laughs) And 
And it hasn't been as effective as I would hope it would be. Um, and I say this, having loved especially the first season of Kimmy Schmidt, I really enjoyed the second season, even if I didn't enjoy it as much. But the third season, like, we stopped watching. We just kind of got bored. Um, and unfortunately, I think it was a case where there's some really great moments in it uh, that are all provided, of course, by the amazing Titus Andromedon. Uh, and the then best. there's just not a lot to hold together between those moments. There's a weird plot line about Kimmy refusing to divorce the reverend who held her captive because she wants to save his new fiance, Laura Dern. And it's just slightly uncomfortable and seems unnecessary. I'm personally unhappy that you, that this show somehow ruined Laura Dern. It was like, I am that always there for Laura. Ruin Laura Dern. Well, wasted using her. That's, that's okay, a fair that's way to fair. put it. I gotta tell you guys, I'm a little disheartened by the fact that Netflix projects seem to start really strong and then fizzle out around season three or four. Yeah, or I'm sooner. For Stranger Things. At this rate. I, I, oh, I'm mm. excited. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited for it, too, but... I think they should have stuck to the original concept for the show where it would be an anthology season show and mm. every season would be a different story. Exactly. But those kids are pretty great. I mean, when, when you strike gold like that, it's kind of hard to not go back. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, like, I'm super excited about it, but at the same time, like, I'm, I'm, da- I, like, I'm totally there for a horror anthology TV show. I mean, you always liked American Horror Story, right? Uh, well, uh, uh, always is a bold <laughs> term for anthology horror shows like that. I know. <laughs> I was gonna say, American Horror Story is bananas, and frequently I enjoyed watching it, even when I could admit to you freely that it wasn't good. Sure. <laughs> um, I did not finish Roanoke. I I could not finish that one. I mean, I, I've seen none. Of America Horror Story, but it's always been one of those things on my radar where I'm like, I know I would probably like this and I should watch it. And then two months later, I, would... I think to myself, I know I would probably like this and I should watch it. <laughs> yeah, I would very much like to watch the hotel season, um, which is based off of the comedic stylings of H.H. H. Holmes. Um... <laughs> <laughs> on the white city if you don't know who he is kids <laughs> uh, but until then I'm going to tell you all about a book it's an audiobook uh, well well it's a book I'm simply experiencing it currently in audiobook format um, I'm not finished with it yet so I don't know if I'm cheating by having this be my bummer but I already know that I don't like it if I wasn't already super behind in my Goodreads reading challenge for the year I would not be finishing it um, as it is, I can't afford to not finish any books and still uh, still hit my goal. Um, it is a book called An Ember in the Ashes by Saba Tahir. And uh, it is it came out in 2015. Hmm. Uh, and it was huge. I mean, it continues to be huge in YA Lit. Like this was it was a Lincoln Award winner, which um, is a. An, a YA Lit Award 
um, in Illinois, which is basically these are the books that teenagers vote on. They're the the favorites of actual teens. Um, it was widely, deeply praised. It had a, a highly acclaimed sequel that came out last year. I was very much looking forward to reading it. It was it's written by a woman. It, the one of the main characters is a woman of color. Like it was uh, just really highly recommended, and I cannot stand it. Oh. Um, it the it is fantasy sort of loosely based off of Rome. Um, you have the uh, the Empire, which is sort of a subjugating uh, militaristic faction uh, who have uh, conquered the scholarly people. Um, you know, uh, the, the the Romans conquered and, the Greeks. Yeah, basically. Cool. Uh, so your your two main characters are Laia, who is a scholar girl, and Elias, who is a martial boy. Um, and a plot where in order to save her brother, who is uh, locked up in a martial jail, Laia goes undercover to spy on the, um, the military commander, who is also Elias's mother. Um, and... <sighs> <sighs> while all of this is happening, <laughs> while all of this is happening, Elias ends up being one of the competitors to see who's going to be the new emperor. Although he wanted to escape uh, or wanted to run away because he thinks what the emperor's what the empire is doing is wrong, and it's guys, it's is, so tiresome. Is is this just like let's? I I love Rome and Roman history. I'm hot and cold at best on YA fiction. Is this like grab bag, bad YA fiction? Like you know, it it kind of is, and I think what upsets me most about it is that it's masquerading as, like, it's masquerading as a Hunger Games type narrative. Only the big problem is that for the emperor, I'm like, ugh. Well, that's not even, like, the main issue that I have. The, so the main issue that I have is that Laia is a terrible character. Like, I'm all, <laughs> I'm all about female characters who get to, like, be afraid and be weak and cry and be girly. Like, I am not a person who says, like, a strong female character, TM, has to be, like, physically strong and brave and fearless all the time. Well, the Kate Bean comics reference necessary. But she is just, like she is i think narratively stupid in a way that i don't appreciate like she um gets taken advantage of repeatedly by other characters she has very little agency um she seems to exist only to be saved by other people Mm. uh she she needs men to tell her like oh no you're stronger than you think you are but she doesn't know it until a male character tells her that um, and then you have another female character who's secondary, but like everybody in the book tells you how badass she is and how strong and how she's the best student at this martial academy, except that she is constantly being assaulted and attacked and almost killed and also has to be saved by the main male characters. And just, I'm at the point where I can see exactly where the book is going and it's it's like the worst of the love at first sight kind of narratives sure. where like now, now I'm supposed to believe that Elias is like 
in love with Laia and they have had one interaction and spoken like twice. And he's like, why do I find her so compelling? I'm like, because you want to bang her. <laughs> because um, she has plot armor and so do you. Or, or well, plot, plot magnets. Like all of his observations of the other female characters in the book are limited to the physical. Like he's constantly talking about his best female friend, except it's always admiringly about how good she looks in her armor. And just the whole thing. I'm like, I'm not, how am I supposed to root for any of these characters? They are thinner than two dimensional cutoffs. I'm getting very heated right now because I wanted to like this book so bad. Like, I was on Goodreads looking at reviews. Sometimes when I don't, when I'm not enjoying a book that I know is super popular, I'll go on Goodreads and look through the reviews just to make sure that I'm not like totally crazy. <laughs> sure. Um, and you know, this, this book is like, it's very highly, I'm, I'm not the only person who feels this way, but you know, reading some of the other reviews from people, I'm like, how are we reading the same book? <laughs> what is going on? You're, you're worried that you're going a little crazy. Yeah, a little bit. So I've got like four hours left in the audiobook, so it'll take me two days of commutes, and I'll finally be done with it. And I just, I'm glad that I don't have to bother with the sequel, because I, I don't think I could stand it. Well, that, that's a shame for me, because anything Roman-related, I want to be good and survive and all the rest. But well, uh... And well, also, the world-building is super flimsy. Oh, like well, in that case, never mind. Boo. No, she's hanging. She's hanging her story on the skeleton of like a, a vaguely Roman-shaped body, and but she doesn't bother to get into like she has these sort of all-powerful holy men figures, but she never bothers to like discuss or even describe like any sort of religion or faith that they are clearly like part of, but. You don't ever get to the details about that. If you're not inventing um, multiple languages and super complicated <laughs> socio-religious political interactions between multiple competing countries, then what's the f point? Even simpler than that, and this is my last thing I'm going to say about this book because we should wrap up and also I'm just getting upset. <laughs> um, I mean, the the main peoples in her book are literally called the Marshals the scholars, and the tribes people. Are you kidding me? So it's like divergent, no. but she didn't try very hard. Yes. <laughs> or it's like divergent, but she tried too hard. Like I could actually, I could see it going that way uh, because parts of it are really well written. Just the stuff she's writing about is driving me completely crazy. Um, and it, I mean, divergent drove me nuts because it was like, but there's a whole world outside of Chicago that I don't know what is happening with. So I was, I was expecting a lot from this book because I'd heard a lot about it. And yeah, it is disappointing on almost every conceivable level that it could be. Well, and that always adds an extra layer of dislike when it's something you've looked forward to. And I think for each of the three of us, we did something we were really looking forward to that failed us. Uh, Versus something that we just encountered randomly that was bad. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> On that note, what are we talking about next week? So next week, or not next episode. Uh, so next episode, we will be back to our uh, regular format. We all have homework to assign for you. Um, Marn, do you want to give us a little introduction to our theme? 
Our theme next week is going to be forgiveness in all its forms and whatever that means because I feel like that is a wide and varied topic that can take us a lot of places. So the homework I'm assigning is the film Atonement. The film, correct? Not the book? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, which is only relevant because I am assigning you all a novel. Um, and I, I know that uh, Pete and I spoke about this off, uh, off camera earlier that I would not be able to read two books in two weeks. We start um, for three. The, uh, <laughs> uh, the book I'm assigning you guys is a uh, 2015 novel called The Walls Around Us by Nova Ren Suma. That's a three-part name. I will spell it in the blog post for everyone. <laughs> is this a, a YA or a... I don't want to say a proper novel, but just so I can figure out how long it'll take me to read. Yeah, it's a YA novel. Uh, Goodreads says it's a little over 300 pages. It is a very quick read. It is a lot of short chapters um, with alternating perspectives. Cool. So, yeah, it will not take you very long to read at all. Great. Um, I'm assigning something that I think might be a little sideways. Um, I... I, I think that the, the forgiveness happens a lot more as subtext rather than text, and I'm curious to see how that all plays out. Uh, I'm assigning two episodes of Doctor Who, Season 9, Episode 6, The Girl Who Died, and Season 9, Episode 7, The Girl Who Lived. Uh, this is Peter Capaldi, the... God, is he the 11th Doctor? I think he's the 11th Doctor. Um, or 12th? He's a Doctor. Uh, he's he's the the current doctor. I think he's, and I say this as somebody who is not a Doctor Who fan. I think he's he's the twelve. Yes. Yeah. It turns out Christopher he's... Eccleston was nine. Yes. Yes. I want to say yes. Yes. Matt Smith was eleven. Great. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. So Peter Capaldi's the twelfth Doctor. Um, this is also uh, it, it's paired episodes, um, like a two parter. Uh, Maisie Williams is in it. So we get to see Arya uh, doing other things. Um, uh, and, and for anyone who's wondering, I did a little bit of research before we started to record. You can find these on Amazon Prime. So if you have a Prime membership, they're available for free. If not, I think they're like $2 an episode. And they're probably on iTunes. And um, I think BBC has some nonsense ways to watch Doctor Who episodes in the U.S., but it might not. So. Oh. But, but it might not, so, you know, whatever. As people who don't have, like, you know, TV subscriptions, there's a lot of, you know, log into your cable provider. It's because we're millennials and we're killing cable. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we buy too much avocado and not enough cable TV. Oh, vomit. <laughs> On that note, um, that'll do it for us tonight. Uh, Marin, if people wanted to find you on the internet, where could they do that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram with the handle A underscore star underscore danced. Uh, I am active on Twitter and Instagram at Magical Martha. And I'm at Twitter at Pico3000, that's P-I-K-O 3000, where I'm talking politics and pop culture. Basically nonstop. Uh, as always, you can find our show at It's Home on the Web at homeworkpodcast.com. 
Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at DYDYH Podcast. Uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, ideas for future shows, email us, email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page that we check almost daily. So, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that some of us like. do check that almost daily. Pete. <laughs> <laughs> we have different roles uh, in this can... podcasting empire. <laughs> Uh, you can find our episodes for download on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. And you can also listen to us directly off of our website. Uh, if you have a free minute and you have enjoyed listening to our podcast, please rate, please rate us and write us a review on iTunes. That is how we are made available uh, and accessible to new listeners. Uh, any if you don't have a free minute, do it anyway. Just like rate and review us. Come on, <laughs> get paid for it. It's fine. I do read, or I would if we got any, all listener feedback on the show. Um, so if you have comments, concerns, insults, praise, questions, anything, I will uh, give you credit and read those for the world to hear. Ideas for future shows, idea for uh, homework assignments. Uh, we're willing to take suggestions. Absolutely. Um but otherwise, I think that's going to about do it for us tonight. Thank you for listening to this particularly self-indulgent episode. I hope that you took away something worthwhile. We talked about some good stuff today. Uh, and you have your homework, so we will see you in two weeks. Class dismissed. <laughs>